section 24 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christoph Stangenberg. Antonia by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter 6, Part 1. Two weeks had passed since the Marquis d'Estrelle's death, and after search had been made in every conceivable place, there was no trace of a will. It was generally believed that there was one. No one dared say aloud that the Marchioness had persuaded him not to make one. There were diverse indications that Marcel believed that to be a fact, but it was of no use to suspect. They could prove nothing, and the consequences were enforced with overbearing placidity, that is to say, the Marchioness, while holding fast to the rights guaranteed by her marriage contract, also inherited all the property of the deceased, and made no suggestions of any sum being set aside to pay the late Count's debts. And yet such a provision seemed to be implied by the terms of Julie's marriage contract. It was a matter for judicial settlement and Marcel advised Julie to appeal to the courts, if for no other purpose than to delay the suits with which she was threatened. Julie would not consent. It was her idea that lawsuits were always lost by both parties, and Marcel agreed that she was not very far astray. "'I'm well aware,' she said, "'that the Marchioness does not love me, and it is very possible that she owes me nothing.' but she is a very great lady and it is not possible that rich as she is she will allow a person who bears her name to be entirely denuded let us wait a little longer it would not be becoming to begin so soon to talk to her about money and it would be most imprudent as you yourself said to appear to be in too much of a hurry when the time has come i will take that step let it cost what it may you must advise me of the fitting opportunity go there at once said marcel to her one day there is no time to lose your creditors propose to take action to-morrow julie undeterred by the ill success of her first visit had called upon the dowager on the morning following the marquise's disease on that occasion she was received very coldly but courteously perhaps the marquise's testamentary provisions having been put out of the way her presence was no longer dreaded there was a sort of bittersweet comment upon the worldly pleasures in which Madame d'Estrelle indulged at the close of her period of mourning, in allusion to her absence from home on the preceding evening. Julie had given the explanation agreed upon with Marcel. It was received with a decidedly incredulous air of curiosity, and then the Marchioness observed, "'I am very sorry for you, Countess, but you are obliged to wear mourning again.' Julie had paid other visits to the dowager, without mentioning her pecuniary troubles. When the moment had come to do so, she summoned all her courage, began the interview with her usual gentleness of manner, and laid bare her position, in a few words, which she could not succeed in making very humble. "'I beg your pardon, madame,' the marchioness replied. 
but I do not at all understand these matters of business, as I have not enjoyed the advantage of living on terms of intimacy with solicitors. If you will be good enough to send your solicitor to my notary, he will be informed of my rights as well as my duties, and will be convinced that you are not included among the burdens left for me to bear. That is not the reply which I expected from your sense of honour, Madame la Marquise. It may be that you owe me nothing. It must be so, since you so declare. I thought that for family reasons. I have not the honour to be of your family, rejoined the Marchioness dryly. You mean, replied Julie, excited by the sneer, that Monsieur le Comte d'Estrel made something of a misalliance when he married a young woman of a family whose nobility was partly of the sword and partly of the gown? That does not wound me, for I am not ashamed of those of my ancestors who were magistrates, and I do not consider myself inferior to any one. But I did not come here to discuss my right to the honour of bearing the name which you also bear. It is a fact that I am the Comtesse d'Estrelles. Am I to lose the status which was promised me and which seemed to be secured to me? If Monsieur le Marquis forgot me when he was dying, does it not result from the intentions which he must have communicated to you, that you will pay his son's debts in part at least? No, madame, that does not follow from any intention that he ever made known to me. I simply know his opinion, and it was this, that you must absolutely abandon your dower, since it is insufficient to pay the debts in question, and that he would then attend to the balance. That has often been proposed to me, madame, and I have asked whether, in exchange for that sacrifice, any allowance would be made me. Are you absolutely penniless? Did your family leave you nothing? Twelve hundred francs a year, madame, no more, as you know. Well, one can live with that, my dear. That is enough to enable one to ride in cabs, to see the play from a closed box, consort with solicitors' wives, and walk about the streets at midnight on a sign paid in his arm. Those are your tastes, I am told. Gratify them, renounce your rights, or allow the property which you hold from the Estrell family to be sold at any price. It makes little difference to me. All that I desire is that you should marry somebody or other so that your name will be changed and I shall never be confounded with you by those who do not know us. You shall have that satisfaction, madame, for I am more anxious than you to avoid that unpleasant confusion. She bowed and went out. Marcel was waiting at her house. When she returned with pale cheeks and eyes blazing with indignation, he said, All is lost. I can see that. Speak quickly, madame. You frighten me. My dear Thierry, I am hopelessly ruined, she replied. But that is not what is suffocating me with rage. She insults me. She tramples me under her feet. At the very outset, without any presumption or provocation on my part, she hurls insults in my face. I am surrounded by spies who carry tales to her and poison the most innocent things. Thierry, she added, sinking into a chair, you are an honest man. I swear to you that I am an honest woman. Only a miserable villain could deny that, cried Marcel. Come, have courage. Tell me what you mean. 
When Marcel knew everything, excepting only the understanding between Julien and the Countess, for they had thought it best to keep their secret temporarily, even from Madame André Thierry, he was much cast down and considered the situation very desperate. Here you are, he said, between sudden, absolute destitution, a terrible thing to a woman with your habits, and a lawsuit of which the result is very doubtful. I no longer know what to advise you. I see that my anticipations are being realized. She can strip you bare and obtain the approval of society by trying to besmirch your reputation. She has weapons all sharpened for you. She laid in a store of them when she saw that the Marquis was sinking, and, feeling sure that he was on his deathbed, she used them. She has maneuvered in cold blood to ruin you. She has set spies upon you and had you followed one moment monsieur thierry hasn't monsieur antoine had a hand in all this julien thinks so i still doubt it i will find out and if necessary i will send up a counter system of espionage but the most urgent thing is not to find out who is betraying you but to determine what you will do no lawsuits in any event no but let us not make that announcement we will threaten to make trouble I will attend to that. They insist that you shall abandon your dower. I propose that they shall purchase that sacrifice, and I will make a stout fight over the conditions. Meanwhile, said Julie, I am at odds with my husband's family, for you can imagine that I shall never set foot inside the marchioness's doors again. In view of her very evident determination to drive you to extremities, I do not pretend to advise you to be patient. War is declared. The hostilities are not of our making. Our proper cause is to avoid retreating. But Marcel had no time to fight. He had at his heels two or three solicitors of decidedly unsavory renown, who talked of selling at auction and who would grant no further delay. He thought that they must submit to the marchioness's demands. He went to Julie and told her so. They are robbing you, he said. Indeed, I fear that they may force you, in case you resist, to part with the slender capital you inherit from your own family. It is absolutely certain that the Count's debts, with the accumulated interest, will absorb much more than what you still retain of his fortune. The Marquis d'Estrelle desires to occupy, or at all events to own, the Hôtel d'Estrelle. And its upper chances? queried Julie. The pavilion, too? The pavilion, too. My aunt must have something to indemnify her for moving. Another point to fight over, but one in which you are not interested. Julie made no reply, but became profoundly sad. The idea of being ruined, of being reduced to twelve hundred francs a year, had not hitherto presented itself very clearly to her mind. But to leave forever that lovely house and that delightful garden which had become so dear to her in the past few weeks, to lose that proximity to the pavilion, the fascination and the perfect security of those nocturnal interviews, that was a genuine catastrophe. A whole world of bliss crumbled to dust behind her. One phase of the purest happiness she had ever known was brutally closed before she had any time to prepare for it. Marcel returned at once to the Marchioness's notary. He found him very domineering in face of the Countess's concessions, not as a man, for he was a most gallant individual, but as the agent engaged to contest his client's cause foot. 
by foot. Moreover, he had been warned against Julie, and he saw in her only a foolish young woman, determined to sacrifice everything to illicit passions. Marcel could not contain himself. He lost his temper, swore on his honor that there were no secret relations between the countess and his cousin, that they hardly knew each other, and that Julie was the purest of women and the most worthy of respect and compassion. Marcel had the reputation of an exceedingly upright man. The warmth of his convictions shook the notary, but, recurring to the marchioness's rights, he showed that she was mistress of the situation and that the countess would be very fortunate to extricate herself in any way that the other choose to allow. However, he promised to do his utmost to bring her to a more generous frame of mind towards her stepson's widow. The next day he announced, in a letter to Marcel, that the marchioness desired to inspect the Hôtel d'Estrelle, which she had not entered for a long time. She desired to see for herself the condition of the property, and then to have an appraisal made and discussed in her presence by her advisers and the countesses. It was easy to see, from the tone of this letter, that the notary had displeased his client by pleading the moral side of Julie's cause, as he had promised to do, and that he himself was far from pleased with the doger's suspicions and harsh dealing. End of section 24